This is such a cool sequence. Yes. Oh. Oh man, he did a slide. Slid into home. He did. Safe. He really did a lot of gunfighting in oh, this one. I like and gunfighting. They love their yeah. I like the the, the red lights. It's kind of like the opening uh, droid head sequence of every episode. Yes. They finally revealed why. Aw. He should have a little instrument. <laughs> Oh no! I, <laughs> how is, is a frog living in a hot spring? Because those frogs are going to be in literally a boiling pot <laughs> no of water. On frog Welcome back to New Rockstars. The Mandalorian Chapter Twenty Four, the season three finale, wraps up quite a bit of Din Djarin in the newly adopted Din Grogu, but leaving a few unanswered questions from this season. But I think leaving us wondering if there's any story left to tell for these characters, or if these two might just pop up uh, in other kinds of shows. Uh, you know, a little arc on Ahsoka, a little arc on. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett season six. We don't know yet. But I think, meanwhile, anyone convinced that Axe Wolves or the armor were the spies are now watching this episode shouting, Dank! This is The Break Represents. Wookie Lakes is our weekly Mandalorian after show. I'm Eric Voss. Hector Navarro isn't feeling too well this week. We'll miss him. Hope he, hope he feels better soon. My Easter egg breakdown this episode is going to come out tomorrow. But right now, I'm here discussing this finale episode with Tommy Bechtol. Hey, hey buddy. Eric. Another Mandalorian season has closed the book and and we await the next uh, adventures for our friends. I, I mean, there's been speculation that, that John Favreau wants to do what, like six seasons of this show? I, I don't know if that's official. I'm not quite yeah. sure how you get three more out, but you know what? I've been wrong about a lot of things in my life. So a lot of people said I, could, I couldn't eat 10 hot dogs in one sitting. I proved them wrong every Saturday. So, you know. <laughs> if anybody's wondering why my background looks different right now, it's because I'm in, I'm on, technically I'm on vacation, but I am working today. I know. Reacting to this finale. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll be back in the Blue Dungeon before too long. So if I look and sound different, that's why. But it's still the same me, You look baby. and sound It's a multiverse great. of me. Thank you. You look and sound great too, Tommy. And it's partially because I think both of us are wearing these exclusive shirts that you get at nerdriot.shop. It's the best way to support new rock stars. We're both wearing our Mandalorian-inspired designs. I got a Grogu, now Din Grogu, mm -hmm. design shirt. Uh, they're really comfortable. It's really the best way to support us. Uh, nerdriot.shop. And thank you to everyone who's bought our Mandalorian shirts over the course of this season. Yes. And those of you who have written shout-outs, we love all you guys. And we really appreciate your support. Shout-out to the shout-outers. All right, so what the fat happened in this episode? Eric, first of all, talk about this it. episode was called The Return. But the return of what? So many ways to interpret what a return means. We return things to stores. Things return to us that we lost. Uh, Jedi's return. Sith revenge. Mm. All right. Now, we start guns blazing as Bo-Katan and Co. flee Moff Gideon and his troopers. Meanwhile, Axe is rocketeering through Mandalore's stormy atmosphere to get some reinforcements. Eric, I don't know. Did you have, like, a weird feeling Axe was just going to, like, emerge into space and get blown to, like, a thousand bits or something? I really, yeah. I thought someone was, whoever the other spy was, yeah. turns out it was no one. Yeah. But whoever else was just going to pick him out of the sky and he was just going to come crashing to Earth. But, no, thank God that was not the case. A hundred percent. And especially after he's like his transmissions breaking up kind of confirming the like yes the storm is what makes it so nothing can come in or out or or i think it was a storm with a mixture of some moff gideon signal jam yeah i think it could have been a bit of both yeah well i think you're probably right about that din is still in rough shape he's being escorted to his cell he attempts a daring escape and then is aided by ig12 IG and grogu and din says listen we've got to once and for all kill moff gideon and end this 
I'm not doing another season of Giancarlo Esposito coming in for the last two episodes of the season and making everybody <laughs> miserable because he's such a tremendous force. I don't want it to be about him anymore. I want it to be about me and you, Grogu. And the only way we do it is we kill this guy. And Grogu's like, yes, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Bo and some of the Mandos, they had to safety in an underground garden where uh, it's explained that life can survive on the surface of Mandalore, something they previously thought impossible. I think even while Mandalore was still a functioning planet, right? Like they they thought things yeah. could grow on the surface in those domes. They said it was uh, uh, thought to be, you know, extinct or uh, for centuries yeah. uh, before the Civil War. It's an interesting history we'll get into in the breakdown. But yeah, I think it's interesting. They have this little greenhouse there. They literally had a Jurassic World Life Finds a Way reference, it sounds like. They're like, life, uh, oh, life finds a way. No, persists. Life persists. That's what we'll say here. But yes. it was nice to see. And it, and it gives uh, Mandalore, you know, last week I was like, this place is a shithole. Why are they trying to reclaim it? Now we see why. It's got a nice backyard patio garden. Yes. And I say, give us a nerdriot.shop merch shirt with Sasha Banks pointing to a blade of Mandalorian grass and going, life figures it the F out. Uh, I think that <laughs> let's sell that immediately. I love that. they. I love when they give our girl Sasha uh, a, a line or two in the episode. She looks so good as a Mandalorian. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm a fan. Anyway, uh, Gideon then launches his TIE bombers uh, to attack the Mandalorian fleet. Moff Gideon discovers Din has escaped. And for the second time in two weeks, Eric, he tells us he's going to take care of this himself. Come on, Moff. Mm -hmm. Open up your heart. Let people help you. <laughs> You've created these amazingly armored Mandalorian trooper or Mando-inspired troopers with flamethrowers they can't help themselves but use at every, uh, every turn. Speaking of help, Din contacts our favorite R5-D4 and asks him to get the schematics to Moff's command center. And R5 does it because he's a total badass who will never say no to a mission. But not without a little interference from mouse droids. And I hate mouse droids, Eric. I hate them so much. And let me tell you, one of my favorite things that has ever happened in a Star Wars thing when R5-D4 propels himself back out of Moff Gideon's base, one of the droids, mouse droids, gets blown off the side of a cliff from the, yeah. from the propulsion. I'm sure you'll point that out. It made me so happy because those mouse droids, all they do is snitch. They snitch. The snitches yeah. wind up in deep ditches, bro. Well, they snitch just to each other. Yeah. Like, they, I thought they were going to bring someone else to come, like, investigate this. No. But he just told the other mouse droids. And they all just swarmed and made more sirens. That's it. That's all they did. It's. I mean, I think the next step of recourse is to alert like all hundred of them. Yes. And they all just nudge <laughs> our swarm of asteroids. I like that they have little sirens too. <laughs> They just yeah, suck. Yeah. You know what? Someone should step on them. <laughs> Axe finally makes it to the Mando Destroyer and sends all the other ships and soldiers down to help. I'm waiting for the big betrayal. It doesn't happen. Bo and Din need the help desperately. Axe, he says, get them down there. There's a great sequence of them all kind of flying down, sliding off the back ends of the, like, they, they, so they cool. kind of reminded me of actual war, like army rangers that, like, jump out of the cargo planes. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, everything with the, with the skydiving Mandalorians, like, I kind of want to know who the rest of them were. Like, yeah. I guess all of them were just kind of hanging out up there, ready to strike. Like, I'm I'm glad they got mobilized rather than just being victims this episode of the of the Tie Interceptor fleet. It was awesome. I loved all the the aerial battle combat in this episode. It looked Incredible. So and good. this hallway sequence of 
Mando fighting his way down these shield gates. Oh my gosh. One yes. by one. Didn't feel like next player release. Yes. Standing by. Release. <laughs> like it was so great. It was yes. like classic Mando action. Incredible. Had great cadence, had a great everything. Din is knifing, shooting, knifing, shoot. It's like using all of the physical acting. I have to assume. Shout out to Brandon Wayne and uh was it Lakeith Crowder? I have mm-hmm. to imagine they did a lot of that work and they they knocked it out of the park. Uh, and that, after that, Din and Grogu discover that Gideon is cloning himself. What a narcissist. And Din says, <laughs> clones? No, we're going to kill them all. We're going to kill them all, but I'm going to push 10 buttons and all the clones are gone. Uh, yeah, I like how one of the settings is just like, if you hit the right combination of buttons, the tanks burst. Yes. And spill out a bunch of uh, sopping, floppy, <laughs> Carlo Esposito corpses. All over the all over the Honestly, crowd. some of them probably looked like Gus Fring after visiting uh Saltamechia <laughs> or whatever. Do you think at least one of them might have lived? It's just kind of walking around like hey. Well, Eric, hey. you know, one of my one of my crazy theories is that Moff Gideon is so evil. It was the Moff Gideon that died at the end, uh clone Moff Gideon. <laughs> like is Oh he- yeah, at that point, who's the real one? There's no way of knowing. We'll never know. It's gonna be like a soap opera. Somehow Moff Gideon returned so the mando <laughs> cavalry arrives and we get as you said eric an absolutely sick battle in the sky scene soldiers colliding in the sky jetpack on jetpack the armorer hammering people out of the sky mm-hmm. that once uh, confirming to us she's actually on the side of good both eric and i were pretty sure the armorer was going to be uh, revealed to be evil and unfortunately as always happens our hearts are broken and now we have to mute our replies on twitter for at least two weeks <laughs> Speak for yourself. I want it. I want the pie. You know Bring what? It. Send it all to MT this time. Leave us alone. No. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it, but, you know, just spread the wealth a little bit. Okay. So, Din and Grogu confront Gideon, who tells him he was making clones of himself that could use the Force, and you guys ruined it. If I tried a little bit harder to, to hide and to uh, barricade this, maybe, I thought he was going to be standing in front of those things and yeah. blocking them himself. Where was he? He's like, know. I'll lure him into a random other hangar where yeah. we'll fight. Why not fight in front of your other clones and protect them if they're so valuable to you? I thought, I'll be honest, I, you know, I love this show. I thought the entire last, like, five to ten minutes of the Moff Gideon saga was a little bit, like, a little kind of like, why is this so easy? Why is yeah. everything so hard? And then all of a sudden it's like, beep, boop, boop, explode clone cages, and then walk into a Moff Gideon's lair and he's just kind of like I'll shut the door that part the fight wasn't easy I think just getting to that fight was uh you know well I guess the the bridge sequence where he's fighting through the the shields was certainly Incredible. difficult so yeah. I ret- I retract my statement partially anyway yeah Moff Gideon summons his Praetorian guards and things are looking pretty bleak for our heroes they get separated Moff is fighting Din Grogu's fighting the guards Bo-Katan comes in to save the day she and Gideon are fighting Din rescues Grogu. Grogu's rescued Din by turning him into a more human father. They've saved each other. And it's not looking good uh, for Bo. Getting cracks at Darksaber with his hand. He's like, that suit is so strong. He's like, sorry. Darksaber's gone. Darksaber destroyed. What an incredible moment that felt so understated. Now, I understand, like, the Darksaber in general, I think, is just kind of getting demythologized this season. But the fact that, like, no character, we get to see their eyes as this legacy weapon over countless generations it's destroyed yeah like it just felt like we moved on past it so quick and we just had a character say the dark sabers no more but it was like something that giancarlo esposito said in a booth over adr and right. it, it had it felt like
like it had no meaning in that moment. I, I, I completely agree that the Darksaber should be destroyed narratively so that the Mandalorians can move on past it. Yeah. But just like give that moment some dramatic weight, you know? It just felt like it happened in the midst of battle where it was like the eighth most exciting thing to happen in that battle. Right. Absolutely. And it, as you said, it was kind of an ADR afterthought. The Darksaber is destroyed. Let's move on. Speaking of moving on, Axe Rose is about to crash a Star Destroyer into the base. So everybody needs to move on out of there, which most of them do, except for Din, Bo, and Grogu, who missed the message and uh, were about to be well-baked as Moff Gideon, who dies in, in the epic pose that all villains must die in, the Christ pose, as the flames engulf him. And Grogu goes... Nope, force bubble. And I don't know how physics works, so I guess there was some sort of vacuum that took all those flames away because eventually the force bubble go last long enough for all the flames to completely retreat. Or maybe the Star Destroyer just kept burrowing into the core of, of Mandalore and like eventually the flames all went down with it. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like people have been able to use the Force to resist the vacuum of space in Star Wars. So yes. presumably they can redirect airflow to prevent fire from consuming all the oxygen surrounding them. I'm not going to question it too much. I didn't question it. I just said, oh, good. Little, little guy saved him. Now, speaking of little guys... Ragnar is finally given his ceremony and you know that the Mandalorians have learned their lesson because they're doing it in a body of water where a giant murderous creature is mere feet away. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they've really grown from the first episode. Everyone has learned a great lesson. Uh, as long as you do it in a cave, no one can hear you scream. Uh, so hey, they did it on the top steps of the pool, kind of the shallow end before yeah. that steep drop off. So, That's true. So, you know, Mando's like, don't go on step number six. After <laughs> that, it's just like <laughs> step number six is a doozy. Uh, steep cliff. So Ragnar gets his ceremony and then Din says, can my boy also get baptized? And the armorer is like, no, because he can't talk, you idiot. And then he's like, well, <laughs> he's not my foundling anymore. Now he's my son. Well, I'll call him Apprentice, but we know, like in Princess Bride, where as you wish means I love you, Apprentice means son. Uh, let's let's be honest. And so the armorer says, you know what? That's actually the one loophole to this rule. Let's go ahead and get this guy going. He's now your apprentice. Grogu touches the living waters, awakens the mythosaur. And then the armorer says, thank you for helping us all reunite and come together as one tribe. Now get out. Now you go. Now you have to go because we're going to relight this great forge and we're going to smoke a little weed. We don't have Grogu around. What? There. That's oh, what I okay. think happened. He's 50. He's older than most of them. <laughs> so Mando heads out into the sky with Grogu and he makes a freelance deal with Carson Tiva, basically saying like, hey, season four is going to be a lot more of those fun Western adventures where I go and do one thing at a time. Yeah. Does that work for you as the narrative of season four? Carson Tiva's like, do I get to be at the beginning of every episode giving you those orders and earning a sweet sag paycheck yes that works great i like how he used the term independent contractor because you know there's a lot of vfx workers who are like hey that's my job title. <laughs> <laughs> and i think we got our our core three uh filoni uh rick uh fuyama and uh and uh deborah chow right? yeah i definitely saw filoni back there and i, I, yeah, the I think there's a few others back there yeah, yeah i definitely saw the hat and i feel like i'll i'm gonna listen again closely i feel like dave filoni his words were not captioned because they probably weren't in a script i think he was just saying random star wars shit in the background oh, and the wow. audio and they just picked it up and they mixed it so you can still hear him say like plo Koon and shit in the yeah. background oh, like, you totally good. hear him say stuff like that come on Do think it's really we, we, we could get it we can get a video out of that keep mining it like best car all right now as a gift to his old pal 
Grief Karga. Din return uh, gets a IG-11 fully reactivated to become the Marshal of Navarro. Mm -hmm. He's back. Taika's doing the VO. May he reign forever. Grogu, who is now Din Grogu, and Din, who's still Din Djarin, in a cozy little cottage just outside of the city, and Grogu does his favorite pastime, which is torturing frogs as the sun sets on another season of The Mandalorian. And we get a circle wipe on the two of them, which just feels so final. Yes. Hey, quick question. Do you think that Cara Dune, uh, when she heard that uh, a, a marshal, uh, her job was now being replaced by a droid, she's like, this is what I've been saying. All the jobs are being automated. She took to Instagram, whatever the Instagram is in the Star Wars universe, and compared it to the destruction of Alderaan. She's like... Yeah. A robot replacing me makes me feel as bad as all of the Alderanians that were destroyed, whose planet was destroyed. <laughs> and if you can get through that mixed metaphor and find some sort of burn on uh, on Gina Carano, then you are our WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks, you are our WikiLeaks <laughs> fan of the day. I'm having an allergy attack. I can't really feel anything in the front of my head. I'm trying my best, guys. We're not doing so good, but you know what? The force is with us. Remember Saturday mornings? You better. Otherwise, you should get that checked out. The weekly holiday where you'd celebrate by watching cartoons and eating cereal. Well, they're back, thanks to Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is cereal reinvented. It's a high-protein, zero-sugar cereal that tastes awesome no matter what you're eating or what cartoons are on at the moment. Magic Spoon's variety pack comes in four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. Come on, SpongeBob fans. Each flavor has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs in each serving with only 140 calories per serving. They're also keto-friendly, gluten-free, free, grain-free, and soy-free. Personally, I'm a sucker for Magic Spoon's fruity flavor. Put that in your bowl and eat it. Mmm. It's like a time machine for your mouth. This tastes like I have no homework to do, no chores to do, and nothing to worry about but whether to sit on the couch or sprawl out on the family room floor. Click the link below to get some Magic Spoon cereal today. You can build your very own variety box and choose from the best-selling cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cinnamon roll, and so many more. And to celebrate Magic Spoon's birthday in April, they're offering a free box of their fan-favorite birthday cake with any order. Use the special link in the description to make sure that you get the free box and it's added to your cart. This offer will only be valid for for a limited time, so don't you wait, okay? Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. And if you're in Canada or the UK, well, jolly good, mate, no worries. Magic Spoon ships that too. Use the special link, magicspoon.com, rockstars B day, to get a free box of birthday cake with your order. Cake, 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 magical. Now, Eric... Let me ask you something. Is this Mother Fenton's story complete or what? Yeah, let's talk about the next steps for his name is now Din Grogu mm -hmm. for that Mythosar moment. And doesn't it kind of feel, Tommy, you mentioned this. It feels like it, I think there will be a Mandalorian season four, but increasingly in interviews, yeah. Filoni and Fabro have indicated that the Mandalorian does not have to refer to specifically uh, uh, Din Djarin, or I guess in this case, even Grogu uh, specifically. And, but I just don't think that there's more story for Bo-Katan to tell either. Like yeah. she's kind of reclaimed her 
birthright of reclaiming the planet of Mandalore, one that has vegetation growing on it. So, right. like, unless that get, that gets threatened again for the you know umpteenth time in Star Wars history, what more story is there for her to tell? It kind of feels like they want to get back to what season one was. They took out uh, or they they completed really all the storylines that. They had, you know, the mythologizing storylines for these characters just got back to this episodic vibe where they're going to merge the Mandalorian with what they had in mind for Rangers of the New Republic. If he's going to be doing these bounty missions, picking off like Imperial warlords and and what their ambitions are throughout the Outer Rim. Um, Meanwhile, they're going to shift their focus for the world building of the of the First Order and set up everything in the sequel trilogy over to Ahsoka, mm. right? Doesn't that seem to be the case? Yeah. I mean, it seems like Dave Filoni has even shifted his focus to Ahsoka, and that might be why season three has felt a little uneven to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I feel like there is an opportunity in the in these like New Republic storylines to bring a lot of legends, characters that people like into live action we already saw zeb was brought out he's not legends but you know he was from rebels and then you know i think there's a real opportunity to kind of show what some of these characters maybe even you know getting billy lord to maybe play like a leia and her attempts to try and work her way up through the government uh in the new republic something along those lines i don't know i mean i'm just trying to think i don't know if that necessarily fits into mandalorian but perhaps someone like that sending him on missions or you're giving Carson Tiva uh, communi- communiques to help, you know, impede all this imperial gro- regrowth that is happening. Uh, but yeah, it definitely feels like Ahsoka is taking over the storyline of how the First Order was 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 developed. I felt a little bit like the overall cloning storyline turned, it, it narrowed, which maybe it needed to do. This is what we're going to talk about in the second question. Gideon's cloning plan now, with that, it's like it really became just about him cloning himself to make the perfect soldier, whereas that we were kind of teased in the episode prior that the cloning plan was like those of us that have watched all of the Star Wars things were like, this is how we're going to find out how somehow Palpatine returned, right? Like this is how it's going to be. And it kind of swerved it in a way that it was like, no, this is just Gideon being like, I want to clone myself. Right. He was on a side mission that felt, uh, I have to say, it felt a little unnecessary and, and narratively unimpactful. Like, I, I I know in these after shows, especially in season finales, when we tend to be the most critical. But, like, yeah. now's the time to do it. I think we can appreciate the journey. Sorry to interrupt. I don't think anyone's going to question the fact that you and I are fans of, the, of A, this show, and B... The, the the world that, it, that that Star Wars builds. But I think in order to like, you know, they would question us if we were like, yeah, everything worked for me and there was no Mr. X that I thought were not paid off well. So, oh, they're going to question us either way. I'm sure right now people on Twitter say, well, uh, you know, new rock stars, Eric Voss are, are mad that because the armor wasn't revealed as a spy or X Wolves wasn't revealed as a spy. That's why it's bad. No, no, no. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm really, really relieved that the armor wasn't revealed as a spy because even though at the beginning of the season, I was like, the armor feels sus in certain ways. No. The way the character was written over the course of the series, over the season, if she was revealed to be a an accomplice yeah. of Moff Gideon, that would have been awful. Yeah. And I think the same for Axe Wolves. It, there just wasn't enough built in there to make that reveal exciting. I just think bringing Moff Gideon back just feels like, 
I don't think we got any more out of it. If anything, it just kind of did away. I think they wanted to establish the cloning plot as tied in with Brendel Hux and maybe have Thrawn be the tip of that spear in Ahsoka. And then, but like, why even bring back Giancarlo Esposito at all? Just kind of do like a, a crazier fan fiction-y version of what he did at the end of season one and season two. Yeah. Like, why can't the kind, I think maybe they felt they needed a big bad for the season. Yeah. Um, but that's not, Always the case, the big bad can just be internal divisions. It can be man versus nature. It doesn't have to be man versus a man behind the curtain. I, I think that's like, I think it's, it would be more interesting just to see what kind of conflicts uh, Din Djarin could have with Bo-Katan, where mm-hmm. both of the characters are right. And we're rooting for both the characters, but they have these kind of fundamental uh, divisions, mm-hmm. uh, which they started this series already having. Mm-hmm. We, that was already there from, uh, from season two, episode four yeah. on Trask. You know, like just kind of build on the work you've already done. Uh, Instead, we went in this really weird journey that just like, I don't know, made sense. Uh, But if we're looking at next steps, I am kind of relieved just to get back to the simple episodic nature of it. Uh, I think they maybe felt that they bit off more that they can chew and that the two uh, faceless non-human characters or at least, you know, Din Djarin is a human character, but he's covered in a mask the whole time in a helmet. Maybe they felt that they could get more narrative impact out of shifting the focus of that world building and that mythology over to Ahsoka, where we have a lot of relatable characters. Right. Uh, it's just a fascinating experiment that they're trying to work. And interesting that they really stuck. I mean, he put his helmet on, re rebaptized himself in the waters of Mandalore, purified himself. And, uh, and we never saw Pedro Pascal's face again, right? This season. No. Yeah. We ever saw yeah, it again. Was- yeah, this is, uh, I think this is the first season. I mean, at the end of season one and season two, we saw his face. That was it. Um, yeah, I, we're being kind of hard on it right now, I'll admit. Um, but I I do think that there is some kind of interesting connection with Grogu in the Mythosar. Yeah. I think Grogu's future as a character is to continue to be the Mandalorian of this series. Yes. I think it's season four, wherever we see him again, there he is destined to connect with that creature, I think, in some way. There is that moment. Uh, between them so i think just in the same way that the the creature kind of blessed bo katan with her birthright to reclaim uh mandalore mm-hmm. uh i think grogu had a similar moment i agree it. i agree so the dark saber it's been destroyed what now what what what, what do we what do we do like what the the, the the great forge is relit do you think they're gonna make some new weapon or new like is it the warrior's way that there has to be like one sword to rule them all or one spear to rule them all i i think it's a good move structurally to take the dark saber off the table yeah um ever since moff gideon ignited the dark saber in the mandalorian season one finale i was like okay this is a cursed blade it's in the wrong hands and it's Mm. always kind of in the wrong hands Mm -hmm. it always just tears people apart so i'm glad to see it as i said before i think the way they did it was just a little rushed and just a little unceremonious um but not even like intentionally unceremonious it'd be one thing if it was just like the way harry potter just kind of goes and just snaps the elder one and tosses it over a bridge right i kind of like that yeah uh but here it was just like in the midst of battle where it was really about two other people and that battle correct me if i'm wrong didn't feel like it was over the dark saber no maybe it was maybe off gideon wanted to reclaim it at the end of last episode he did it just the way it was shot wasn't framed on the dark saber in particular it just seemed like this show wanted to move on past it which i get i I think it's good wanted to kill bo katan and i think feel like he wanted to kill din jar i feel like the death of both of them and then he could continue maybe getting some blood from grogu to get make his little forest gideons um i thought that was his quest although he did once again he was like surrender the dark saber to me and i'll give you a warrior's death what's she gonna be like okay 
Like, well, everything you know she did, she took, she took the offer one time. Of, like, it was like, I'll spare everyone if I give you, if you give me the dark saber. And she was like, sounds good. And then he was like, I'm just kidding. I'm going to kill everyone. It was a joke. Right. I had my you fingers can't trust crossed. Uh, honestly, I think there was a symbolic gesture in taking the dark saber off the table and crushing it this yeah. way and almost saying like, okay, the Mandalorian is what it was in that first season. It is not a story about any kind of Jedi mythology or any kind of, uh, lightsaber and that's what I liked uh, really about season one is yeah. it did feel kind of like as a simple lone wolf yeah. and cub story about this weird orthodoxy of the Mandalorian religion mm-hmm. and, and their history and their persecution Yeah, I liked that a lot and I liked just the simple relationship between uh, Grogu and between Din Djarin and I think by breaking the lightsaber here in the same week pretty much that we're seeing new lightsabers ignited new interesting colors of lightsabers ignited mm-hmm. in Ahsoka I think Lucasfilm is saying, okay, if you want lightsaber action and Jedi over, mythology, yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be plenty of it in yeah. Ahsoka. So tune into that. And 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 you know, I and we ne- and throughout three seasons, or well, really two seasons, we never saw Din get any kind of handle on the on the Darksaber. Anytime never, he wielded yeah. it, he couldn't barely even pick it up, or it was like he did he, the momentum was too much for him. He was very clumsy with it. Bo Katan, obviously, much smoother with it, but like Still, I think I think you're right. I think it was like ultimately the, these type of weapons, laser swords as they were, they they belong over on Ahsoka. A good old blaster and crocodile Dundee knife to the chest plate of a Beskar uh, trooper is all we need in Mandalorian, you know? Yeah. Get him to the back of the tank, sew him up, stitch him up, bring him back. I don't think it's any coincidence that the Darksaber gets destroyed in the same episode we learned that vegetation has respawned yeah. on the planet of Mandalore. And that specifically when Grogu looked through the water at the Mythosaur, they were somehow able to bring in new light mm-hmm. into this previously completely dark chamber, which mm-hmm. as a viewer, I think we we're both grateful for yes. because we could actually see what's going on here. Very much. But secondly, I think there's like a symbolism of, of life and light finding mm-hmm. their way to their wellspring. Yeah. Uh, and that it allowed us to peer clearly through this water, which didn't look as murky or cloudy yeah. or whatever sediment was clouding everyone's vision down there. Now it's just like a clear shot that almost feels less uh, imposing or fearful, mm-hmm. but it's something like we're waiting for our d- gentle giant Kaiju yeah. to awaken and champion us. Uh, so it feels like a step in the right direction morally and uh, in like a, in terms of these characters' souls finding redemption, I hope he sounds like Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street. <laughs> I hope I hope John Favreau works in a reference to Mister Narwhal from Elf. Yeah, he's just like, okay, Bye, Grogu. Hope you find your real dad. <laughs> I'm the crying uh, one of those little penguins. <laughs> Bye, buddy. Uh, so. I do have to bring up something before we're going to talk about loose ends. I have to bring up I, what I'm going to call my line of the year of dialogue. John Favreau takes a lot of shit for his, or, 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 or gunk for his writing. He wrote one of the most video game lines of all time in that Navarro scene where Grief Cargo was like, I've given you the deed to a cottage just outside the city limits where you can return to in between missions. And at that point, I wanted like a triangle, a PlayStation triangle to appear up on the screen and be like, press here to see the map of your cottage. I was like, the line, you can return here between missions. Was that Carl Weathers being like, I got to be a part of season four. And the only way I can guarantee that is if Din Djarin comes to his little cottage in my hometown. I'm like, did he improvise that or did Favreau script it? Either way, brilliant. 
injected straight into my veins. Listen, it's not all Shakespeare, folks. Sometimes you just got to tell the people what's going to happen. I completely agree, Tommy. I think there's a lot of lines in there that just feel like placeholder. And they're like, there's no time. We have to shoot this. And the people who watch this, there will only be a a couple of gripey nerds on (laughs) on YouTube and on Reddit and on Twitter who will complain. Otherwise, people will be happy. And by the way, I'm not complaining. It made me laugh out loud. It was maybe not the right reaction, but I will take it. Uh, I don't have any problem with it. I just love, I love a good old fashioned. Hey, this is what you can expect next year. <laughs> They're going to come back to this cottage uh, or the cottage gets blown up with Din's new <laughs> wife inside. And he's got to go on a revenge mission. All right. Loose ends, Eric. Who the hell were the spies? Um, okay, I think spies looking back was not really meant to say that there is definitely another spy. I just think, uh, look, I think writers' rooms will often name these episodes at the very end, mm-hmm. and it'll just be the showrunner just being like, "Oh, this one." Internally, writers and crew people refer to episodes as the episode number, so they they would refer to it as three hundred seven, sure, sure, or three hundred eight, or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but I think the spies just refer to the conspirators yes. of the Shadow Council. Sure, yeah. Is it right to call people like that spies? Mm, I don't think you would call Moff Gideon a spy because he is who he is. He's walking around proudly. He's a public war criminal. Um, but yeah, I think that's just what that was meant to be. I don't think there's any, obviously anything more to, to that. What do you think about Elia Kane? I mean, do, are we going to see her? When do we next see her show up? Yeah. Or is her character just gone into, into the pages of a of an intrepid comic book writer or something. <laughs> yeah. I think she's just someone who's uh, like, you know, an operative who's going to be active on Coruscant serving the agenda of the shadow council one right. way or another, but she is kind of like left. She's like, uh, you know, KGB uh, sleeper cell hmm. people who lose their contact when the, yeah. When the Soviet union collapses. So they're just kind of like left to their own devices. So we hire them and make them do uh, things for our government. And, well, uh, there was that one line where Moff Gideon said that jo- Dr. Pershing's cloning research, research was lost for now. Yes. And I think that might have just been uh, two words to suggest that Elia Kane is still active and still has like a, a mission mm. to do and could still be useful to Brendel Hux into the First Order. Mm. All right. Here's a question for me. You know, I'm an armor freak. Why did they introduce Grogu's armor chest plate and then not do anything more with it? Yeah, I was expecting there's going to be a moment where we forgot that he was wearing that. He gets shot <laughs> right in the chest or that some uh, one of those Praetorian guards yes. jabs him right in the chest. And then we freak out and then we remember, oh, he's got that chest plate. Yeah, I think that was just a little moment for Grogu to have the mud horn. Yeah. And that's it. And he wore it under his clothes the rest of. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I, have an answer I, for that. I'm with I, you. Although, could you imagine? I mean, didn't Grogu get stabbed? Yeah, I'm a little upset. Grogu gets stabbed? I'm devastated. Okay, there's a big difference. Now that he's an apprentice, I'm kind of like, hey, you know what? He should have known better. <laughs> but when he was just a foundling, I felt bad for him. He needed to be protected. All right. Now, we got this great tease of the Mythosaur early on in the season. And now all we kind of got was its last action was opening its eye. We don't know if it's, a, if it's ever going to do anything or get ridden by anyone. We hope it will. We assume Grogu touching the water and, and it reacting was kind of like uh, it, it awoken it, or at least maybe 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 Grogu has a history of connecting with animals. Obviously, perhaps the the Mythosaur was like, "All right, you'll ride me someday, but you know, go out and uh, capture some more space pirates first, and uh, and then and then and then and then come back to me." You, you got to be at least 
130 to ride the Mythosaur. Yeah, I, I think maybe it, uh, they felt it was just too soon to bring in the Mythosaur. Yeah. I thought that would have been just as fun of a like way to destroy Boff Gideon as having his own light cruiser crash into him. I like to think of the Mythosaur now as kind of like a spiritual force that only presents itself to Mandalorians who need to see it in that moment. This way, he kind of stays like a disembodied abstract concept that represents the spiritual health of the planet Mandalore, as as opposed to something practical that, you know, everyone has to either fear or figure out how to tame or whatever it is. That's maybe for a future season. But for now, it's just kind of like... Almost like an otherworldly godly presence to certain specific characters. I think that's really cool, Eric. I think that makes it makes it feel important, right? Like who gets to engage with the Mythosaur? Only the VIPs. Only the VIMs. Mm. The very important Mandalorians. Yeah. Uh all right. And finally, you never got any Thrawn. Are they just saving him for Ahsoka, right? That's it. It's all Yeah, absolutely. We'll see Thrawn in a in a trailer for Ahsoka at some point this yeah. summer, and we'll definitely see him in the Ahsoka series. Yeah, I think uh, if we were going to see Thrawn, he would have showed up in that Shadow Council meeting. Mm-hmm. That is, That tends to be the way, yeah. right, in Star Wars, is rather than bring in big cameos, other than Luke Skywalker, right, he was the big exception, and Ahsoka Tano when she uh, showed up. Uh, but otherwise, characters tend to show up in hollow projector screens, you know, in, in video calls, and that's where they step in uh, to frame. I mean, that's how Maul was introduced in Phantom Minutes, was just like he walked in behind, you yeah. know, Palpatine or Sidious. So I think uh, that would have been the place, whereas, like, Thrawn's just on the bridge of a ship. If anything, my, we, we would have seen the back of his head. Uh, but I think this is this is the thing that Star Wars does now, is they, with Filoni in charge of stuff on on uh, Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. he kind of wants you to just watch everything, and you can get bits and pieces from, from everywhere, and that is your narrative experience, as opposed to people just watching one show. And I think that's why this season has been such a litmus test mm-hmm. for a lot of Star Wars viewers. If you watched it and loved Clone Wars and Rebels... Uh, that kind of episodic vibe where they start to introduce major chunks of like Star Wars canon uh, episode by episode in ways you weren't expecting. Um, yeah, I, I think viewers like that could appreciate and really love this show. And that's why I was able to really love parts of the season just for the action and how well it was directed and just the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for people who just want to watch just one series at a time and understand the themes and the character development, uh, I think. I can imagine why a lot of them feel a little whiplash yeah. at the end of the season. Sure. Sure. I, I yeah, I, to- I totally understand that. And I, I think it's like you said, it's Filoni preparing people to have to watch everything be- with the anticipation of the feature film, right? Like it's like, we now know mm-hmm. he's making the film. So you got to watch everything to get what the movie's going to be. Basically. It's like rather Definitely. than having episode 10 and an episode 11 and an episode 12, it's like, all these Disney Plus shows, and then the one movie to tie them all together. So I'm in, yeah. Eric. Let's do Wookiee Leaks forever. Or wait. We'll watch all of it. And and Tommy, I think it's I, – I highly recommend people go watch Bad Batch yes. this season. Because if you don't feel like Mandalorian stuck the landing this season, Bad Batch absolutely did. It absolutely so did. Watch Bad it has a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun uh, world building and, 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 and information building into – cloning in the star wars world beyond the the kaminoans so and i hope season three of the bad batch is even mightier than season two and god bless the forty thousand of you that'll watch it with me all right now (laughs) let's end on a positive note eric it's been a pleasure as always 
to do another season of a Disney Plus Star Wars show with you on this wild ride we call Wookiee Leaks. Yeah, you too, Tommy. I, I really love, even if some episodes don't hit with me, it's always just a delight to jump on with you. And it was so much fun to bring in Hector into this conversation uh, this season. I wish I hadn't poisoned him before the last episode so it could just be us. <laughs> Well, uh, he'll be back soon yes. because, you know, that poisoning wasn't like a permanent poisoning. It was more of a phantom threat poisoning. It was a poisoning out of love, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. You share a kiss afterwards. Wow. Oh, crazy movie that was. <laughs> hey, um, but so Wookiee Leaks isn't going to be a weekly thing uh, for the next few weeks. We're going to go back into the back to tank to rest mm. and recharge. And when Ahsoka comes back in August, we're going to be back every oh, week yeah. talking about Ahsoka. And I'm super excited for that show. It's going to be a blast. So be sure to uh, subscribe to New Rockstars. Subscribe to WookieLeaks wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and you can follow me at EA Voss. Follow Tommy at uh, Tommy Bechtold. And uh, be sure to follow Hector at Hector is Funny as well. And uh, yeah, you can also subscribe to our new channel, The Deep Dive. I have a new video coming out on Friday, a, a deep dive into Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, that's going to be really great. I think you'll like it. Uh, you can support our growing network by going to nerdriot.shop and getting one of our Mando-inspired shirts. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. We have, have spoken. spoken.